Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel, but it's not just Rachel and I today. Who else do we have with us, Rachel? Kayla! Hello! How are so you guys? Great. How are you, Michaela? For just in case anyone is, maybe this is the first Talking With Tech they've ever listened to. Who are you and what do you do with Talking With Tech? Okay. Um, I'm Michaela Ball and I am the audio engineer um, working on the podcast. Basically, I edit the banters and interviews and put them together. Michaela has the pleasure to listen to all of our ramblings um, and edit out the ones that we don't need in there anymore. <laughs> and and deal with us when we are recording in an airport or in a car or when we're not in the closet or in your room and, uh, and having to try and figure out all the levels. And you do an amazing job. Thank you so much, Michaela. Well, thank you. And we also, I, I one of the things I want to share is that I feel really proud that our team is all SLPs because, you know, one of the challenges is when you are creating content and you have people helping you, um, you don't always have the fortune of having someone with the specific specialty and expertise um, going through our content. And so I, we ship our, our, our recordings off to you, Michaela, and I feel so confident that you're able to go through them and decide, you know, what needs to be kept in for context and the important kind of nuggets of information because you are an SLP. That's that's true, but only recently, which is so exciting. <laughs> I know. I love it. How much have you learned about AAC through uh, editing our podcast, Michaela? Oh, it's like a college course. It's been fantastic. Um, Michaela, just a quick little story here. So when Rachel just a few weeks ago was in Virginia, um, we went out with some friends and some of those friends were telling us, you know what, you got to tell some stories about how things got started. Like, uh, you know, you've been doing it for a while and some people who, who haven't gone back to the beginning were like, okay, we'll have to do some, some of that. So let's ask you as a part of that, how did you get involved with talking with tech back in the first place? Well, that's kind of a crazy story. Um, I was a filmmaker, a sound recordist by trade, and I was making the shift over to SLP and I wanted to talk like a professional. And I, so I thought, Hey, the best way to do that is to listen to podcasts by SLPs on my way to work on my 45 minute drive. Well, I came across talking with tech and in the car, I had to ride the levels. And as an audio engineer, unfortunately it drove me bonkers. <laughs> So Wait, I sent what, an email. What do ride the levels mean? Because I'm not sure everyone knows what that means. That's, uh, uh, that's audio engineer jargon. Okay. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Um, turning the levels or the volume up and down so I could hear hear you, you, Chris, and hear you, Rachel. And at that point, I think Lucas Stuber and all of the interviews. So I reached out and I reached our producer, Luke Paget, And so I got connected with the team and that was what 2018 that's a while ago wow that was a I long time ago so michaela interesting segue here because you said you worked in the film industry for a while and what our banter subject today is is we actually had somebody that was uh in a documentary that's who we're going to interview here in a second and they were they, they talk about all their experience with aac right rachel yeah, we had the pleasure of having Jordan Zimmerman on the podcast. And for those of you who don't know, Jordan Zimmerman uh, was featured in a documentary called This Is Not About Me, which kind of took the, I think, AAC world by storm and is very well known, um, essentially 
Jordan shares her experience not having access to robust AAC and um, how, you know, her basically her experience in her education of not being given access to communication. Uh, Jordan is non-speaking and um, talks all about that journey uh, where her parents kind of fought for her to have access and how she was kind of mislabeled as behavioral. And um, it was a really powerful documentary. And I'm really excited that we had Jordan on to kind of share all about her experience. Um, and yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's a great interview. I think, um, I know when I saw the video, when I saw the, the, the movie, um, I remember two thoughts. My first thought was, this is such a great example. What a powerful example of presuming potential or not. Like, uh, cause there are certainly stories in the movie where people did not presume potential and the negative impact that had on Jordan's life. Um, and then the second thought I had while watching the movie was how do we get more people to see this movie? Because a lot of it, I just watched it. I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, yep, yeah, oh, yep, yep. That's 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 the reality I see. Um, and I've been and and one of the reasons we do this podcast is to change that reality, right? Um, and I get nervous that it will just be people who already know about AAC and are working in the AAC space that will um watch this this movie and really what what we want to do is have like everybody see this movie so that they're they're doing a better job presuming potential and considering AAC needs from the very beginning. And I think that's a fantastic point. It's like what we're missing in media is this representation of disability of um alternative communicators. Uh, it's it's something we don't see. And so how do we how do we expand it so that more viewers are being exposed? Yeah, I think that ultimately when I watched the film, like you said, Chris, this is something that I'm passionate about. This is part of the reason we do, we do this podcast. And to hear an autistic AC user, Jordan, share the experience of not being presumed uh, competent and not being given access to robust AAC and how harmful that was. Um, it's, you know, a really powerful message. And if you guys are listening and you haven't watched the documentary, I'd highly recommend it. Um, it's called, this is not about me and you can rent it. Um, it's, it's, it's so, so powerful a message and it's really unfortunate that we needed, um, you know, a documentary about this, to actually start shifting and, and start changing people's perspectives. Um, I still think there's a lot of work to be done uh, in that in that realm, but I think that this is a really good step in the right direction. Um, listening to her experience of people not believing that she was able to understand, that she was able to learn, um, and then finally having the technology to be able to share, yes, I understand, yes, I've been able to learn, but not um, because of you, but in spite of you. Um, and I think that that is really unfortunate. And um, I'm excited to, to share all about Jordan's story uh, because it's a really important one for everyone to listen to. Now we need to give the listeners here some um, a, maybe a challenge or a some awareness about what the the way we've decided to structure this particular interview. So uh, many times when we're doing interviews, we send questions ahead of time, and we did that with Jordan. Jordan elected not to record any answers, but to answer them in real time, and. 
as Jordan is formulating responses to the questions, Rachel and I, who are both there for the interview, um, are are sitting, waiting patiently for her to formulate the response and thinking about maybe what uh, what that response might be. And and so what we've decided to do is leave that silence of uh, in the in the recording. So the challenge that we issue to you is to sit in that silence and sort of realize the wait time. Um, Resist the urge to reach forward and hit the 30 second forward button on your on your podcast uh, tool of choice um, and just sort of experience it um, so that you realize just how long you might have to wait for someone to formulate their response. And that doing that is uh, a skill in becoming a good communication partner. Is that fair? We have had so many AAC users on this podcast, and I'm that's something I'm very proud of. One of the the things that many AAC users share is that a frustration of theirs is that people don't wait. People don't wait. They move on. They start talking. They feel that silence as an AAC user is formulating a response. Someone has already moved on to something else. Um, and so I think this is a really good challenge for everyone because, you know, we need to learn the skill of patience and waiting. Um, and I think that that's a, a perfect challenge for this podcast episode. Um, so I'm excited to have that challenge. And I would love to hear from you guys. If you listen to the episode, of course, we love when you reach out and let us know. Um, you know, before we head into the interview, I wanted to kind of talk to Michaela because as I mentioned, we've had a lot of AAC users on this podcast and um, we've, we've come in, we've come up to this issue before, like how much wait time do we include? Like we want to provide an experience that is similar to what you would experience if you were talking with an AAC user. Um, but we also recognize in, you know, this day and age, everyone's kind of fast paced and trying to, to move forward and trying to consume content. Um, so Michaela, I wanted to kind of punt this question to you because this is something that's come up for you, um, you know, over the years of editing our podcast, especially with AAC users. Um, let's talk about that, that challenge that you've faced. It's been really interesting since we've had like quite a number of AAC users. And I feel like we have done both the trying to give more of that wait time while someone formulates their answer and shortening that wait time. And it's, it's been really difficult to navigate because in one sense, we want to honor the communicator, right? And also to our listeners demonstrate what a most realistic experience would be like. Um, but at the same time, every time I would go through and edit, I would try to figure out how to make it just a touch faster because we're just so not used to sitting and waiting. I think there was... Um, there was an interview and I can't remember the exact numbers, but we went over the numbers of how long the interview was and what we cut it down to. And it was half, it was at least half, half of that was wait time. So wow. think about an hour conversation with someone that's really a 30 minute conversation. I think that's incredible to, to look at the numbers and, and think about that. And so how do we, how do we balance in this world, especially in the podcast world where we don't have a visual to go with it? We don't, we're not person to person. You don't see our faces, but how do we, um, portray that communication, that wait time? 
So it's, we've done both. We've kind of left them a little long. We've shortened them up quite a bit. And also how a communicate, how an AAC user um, formulates their answer also kind of has impacted how we choose to edit those. And I, I think it's, it's just been really interesting. And I, I promise you almost every episode where we have an AAC user, I end up talking to our producer, Luke going, Hey, do you think I cut out too much? Do you think I need to cut out more? Um, and I'm really, really excited for this particular interview to just let the first couple um, formulations, uh, Jordan's formulations of, of what she's going to say, just let it lie and let, let you all listen to just to digest that that's what we are going for in real life. Because that's, that's often what's so that's missing from media is this real life representation. And I tell you, I, media, reality, television, all of the, all of the realities, it's not real. You know, it's all edited. It's all put into a different context than reality itself. So I really hope that we can portray it in a much um, more realistic way for this episode. Now, before we move on to the interview, we also have to alert people to what's coming next with Talking With Tech, because here we are at the time of this recording and at the uh, delivery of this episode, we are butting up with summer. And so we, uh, the plan is for the next two weeks to take a little break and then come back. But when we come back, we sort of took to heart what our friends in Virginia were telling us is... Um, uh, what if you've what if you're new to the podcast and you've got over five years worth of content to try and catch up on? Could you what what could you do to help sort of people that are that are new to the experience? And so what we thought we could do is maybe the, uh, when we come back uh, is to come back with four legacy episodes. Um, Rachel and I have selected some episodes that uh, we feel like might represent some of our early days, but still have really good content that would be useful to uh, people who are listening to the podcast. So we're going to re-release four episodes over the summer, and then we'll come back fresh with new episodes in the fall. I'm hoping those episodes, Michaela, aren't too much editing, those early episodes where we weren't we didn't have you. <laughs> we didn't have a uh, Michaela on our team uh, with her expert engineering <laughs> skills. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to to release the new episode or the the old throwback episodes, the legacy episodes. I love that, Chris. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a great place to kind of go back, even if you have listened to those episodes. It's been a while, um, so I'm excited to to start showcasing some of our earlier content because we have a whole lot of episodes, and it can very feel very overwhelming to know where to start if you just started listening. So I'm really excited to to share some of those episodes and. And to share this episode with Jordan, I think it was a fantastic interview and I'm very excited to share this with our listeners. And then one last thing is Patreon still has new content coming out um, over the summer. And uh, we're going to keep that open for everyone to to add, to join. And uh, again, thank you to the people who have already participated in, uh, in Patreon. How do you get to it, Rachel? Patreon.com backslash talking with tech. We love our Patreon I get, you know, so excited when we are at a conference or someone comes up and they're like, I'm part of your Patreon. I'm like, ooh, like you're part of the inside crew. 
um, just because that that patron makes this podcast possible. And, you know, we love being able to support Michaela and Luke um, in all of the efforts and works work that they do. Michaela and Luke volunteered their time in the initial stages of this podcast just to help us. Um, and so it's great that we have the Patreon because now we're able to pay them. Any final thoughts to well to to issue people into the summer, Michaela? Um, don't stop learning and enjoy your summer. I love it. Uh, so without further ado, we are going to head into our interview with Jordan Zimmerman. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. Hey, Chris. Hi, Rachel. I am super excited to have Jordan Zimmerman on with us today. Jordan, thank you so much for being here. Um, super excited to chat with you. Can you start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, the AAC systems that you use? Thanks for having me, Rachel and Chris. I'm Jordan Zimmerman, pronouns she, her, and I type to communicate using Prolocal for text on iPad. I earned my master's in education from Boston College, and I currently work at the Nora Project, helping educators teach students about disability as an expected and valued part of human diversity. Outside of work, I am board chair of communication first, and I'm a presidential appointee. Well, Jordan, it sounds like you do a lot, and we'd certainly want to dig into some of those different projects that you're working on, like the Nora Project. I have to say, the first time I heard your name is in relation to the documentary, uh, This Is Not About Me. Can you tell us a little bit about like what that was like and what that documentary was like and um, you know what has happened in your life since the documentary has been released?
This is not about me as the story of my experiences, and a glimpse into my journey, trying to be included in school, and access robust, augmentative communication. But it is also the story of so many. So many times, when students have various disabilities, and even more so when students cannot rely on speech to communicate, rather than giving us the tools to effectively communicate, students are put on a path of segregation. And these placement decisions forever impact a student's life. Once students are segregated, the outcomes and chances of not only getting the services and supports we need, but of also being included within our communities, decrease, unless, by chance, something happens. Since it's been released, lots of schools and parents, and lots of folks overall, have reached out, sharing similar stories, though also sharing changes within their own instructional practices or otherwise, as well as how it's shown the urgency for communication access. Yeah, I mean, I think that that documentary was really powerful, Jordan, and I I watched it and had this sense that like, I hope that this changes the way things are done. And I hope this is something that really um, stimulates change. Um, and so I think that I'm, I'm happy to hear that that has been a kind of a byproduct of the documentary release. Um, you know, in a lot of the documentary um, shares the story of educators having limiting beliefs about you and your potential for communication um, and your ability to use AAC for communication. So can you just share a little bit in more detail about that experience? Because um, I think that there's probably a lot of parents out there, um, maybe similar to the experience of your parents, where they believe that their child has the ability to say a lot more than they have the access to. And the first step is getting access to robust AAC. Um, and so I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that experience for you. Yeah, there were a lot of prerequisites imposed and shared before I could supposedly have access to reliable and effective communication or before I would be successful in an environment with others. We know there are no prerequisites to either of those things, but it's part of this cycle that once people get stuck in it, it's really hard to get out of it. It's not included in the film, 
but I still remember going to my high school, where the filmmaker was chatting with one of the security guards, and he started sobbing. He clearly had really good intentions, but it was those limiting beliefs he shared, where he said that he just recalled me constantly running out of the building, being non-communicative, that he couldn't ever imagine me succeeding. But we don't know what people can do when given access. Well, let me comment on that for a second, because I certainly um, had a moment in my career where I had uh, an aha moment uh, where I was sitting in the car realizing, um, let's call it a Taylor Swift moment, where I, <laughs> where I recognized that I was the problem. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Um, that I was one of those people that had those <laughs> limiting beliefs uh, and realized like, what chance will people have unless I help give them that chance? Um, and so uh, we often say in our presentations um, that uh, one of the biggest barriers that uh, people who are learning language using AAC face is the, the if those those who surround them don't believe that they will eventually be able to use it, and they're the ones meant to teach them how to use it. So we have to not be the 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 lid on the jar. We have to um, make sure we are um, are providing every opportunity and believing that someday, with enough time, with enough uh, the right tools, uh, the right decisions, and the right support, anyone will be able to say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Does that all sound fair? Yes, wonderful. And maybe you're a bit of a Swifty. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Who, who knew? You heard it here first. Chris Bougay is a Taylor Swifty. <laughs> so, Jordan, so the, the documentary, for sure, makes a big splash. And we feel like that has helped move the needle. Um, and you've gotten feedback on that, but that's not the only thing that has moved the needle. I know from personal experience, um, let me tell you a quick little story. So um, I was working with a school district and uh, one of the consulting teachers from that school district sent me an email saying, Chris, have you seen this article? Uh, it's about SLPs as gatekeepers. And, and of course, I had seen the article uh, and I was like, have you seen the documentary? And she's like, no. I'm like, well, you got to go look it up. Like, um, so this is an article that you wrote. And I can say from this uh, that I know what happened in this particular school district is that they... Um, they were experiencing someone that was um, an, a process, put a process rather than a person, where it uh, getting access to robust AAC was funneled through um, uh, uh, a process that was sort of gatekeeping the, uh, not sort of, it was gatekeeping who had access. And it wasn't putting the hands uh, into and the responsibility to a team to make a decision that involves the AAC user themselves or the parents in some cases. And so the school district 
because of that article, um, which was really the big catalyst uh, that, that you wrote, changed their practice to say, now we're going to have a team approach to deciding uh, to make decisions about feature matching that includes parents and that when, at, in, in every case possible, try and involve the AEC users themselves in making that choice. Pro in that, making that choice. Um, Sometimes the kids are really young, right? So, but still, the idea is that it's not one person gatekeeping, deciding who gets what or when, and having to cross some sort of uh, mythical um, uh, line of this person deems that they're worth. I deem this person worthy of getting it, and this other person not. Um, and in that article, you talk a little bit about um, uh, the idea that you have to prove communicative intent without giving access to tools in the first place and how are you supposed to keep prove communicative intent without access to tools and that maybe you shouldn't do that so can you elaborate a little bit on that where that came from and what your thoughts were behind that that point That's so fabulous to learn about that school district. Just to clarify, this was originally presented at ASHA and then published, in part. A lot of that presentation was using my story to frame this idea of how professionals wanted proof of my communicative intent, but didn't give me the tools or support to show that. Rather, they focused on my behavior, what they called very challenging, and assumed that I would not be able to express myself with any form of language, assuming I had none. That's incredibly problematic. When anyone isn't assumed to be incapable of understanding language, no effort is then made to provide us access to a robust, language-based see that would allow us to prove otherwise. There shouldn't be hoops to jump through and things to prove, period. Yeah, I mean, I definitely am like resounding yes, Jordan, like drop the mic. <laughs> Uh, because I think that that is such an important point. Um, I'm really curious. So you kind of were den denied access to robust AAC. Um, what did it look like when you actually, you know, were introduced to robust high-tech AAC for the first time? Um, you know, what was that process? Did you have to practice? Did you have a lot of language kind of swirling in your head and you finally had the ability to, you know, share all, all of the things that you were thinking and feeling? Um, I'm really curious what that looked like.
I had so much language. First, I have an older brother, and I think that sibling dynamic, and just the idea of always listening to him was wildly important. It cannot be understated. Even today, when I don't know a word, because there's a lot I don't know, due to years of miseducation and opportunities, he's my go-to. I also say this a lot, and it's something else that I think we forget about a lot, we do not give environments enough credit in their ability to create print-rich spaces. I had Sesame Street, my brother always talking, my parents, and things buzzing around me, in which I was learning. In terms of what it looked like when I initially began using high-tech IC, I started with symbols, and then transitioned to typing. That's so interesting to me because I think one um, question I've always had is, you know, how uh, for especially for individuals who don't have access to high tech AAC until they're older, um, you know, what does that process look like are, you know, and, and, you know, I would have suspected what you said, but I'm happy to hear it from your, yeah, from your perspective, this idea that really you were immersed with language you were immersed with learning, um, you know, and you still learned a lot of this language without being able to practice it. Um, and I think that's such a, such an, a really important point, like the environment that we create around students, um, especially considering literacy and creating literacy rich environments um, really does make a big you know, impact. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear you share that. And also very interesting about the symbol base versus uh, spelling differentiation. Uh, we had someone else on our podcast recently who was autistic and shared that they prefer typing and spelling to symbol based communication. Um, so is that your experience too? Is like you kind of started off with symbol based communication and then you were like, actually, I think I prefer um, typing. Yes, I transitioned to the typing view, fairly, I believe. And going back to your last point about literacy, I'm definitely not saying that my trajectory of learning was okay, or should be used as a model. Fact, because I was segregated, there's a lot I missed out, and a lot of gaps I had in skills and knowledge when starting college. No one should be waiting 18 years for access to effective and reliable communication. Gordon, let's talk about the segregation for a second, if you don't mind. So you had mentioned uh, in your first statement about inclusion. You just brought it up here again. And you mentioned Sesame Street. So let me see if I can connect these, pull these threads together. Um, because you had a brother, um, you you had a, and and maybe a family that it, and it kept introducing you to new experiences. Um, you grew right um i th let me let me 
see if I can explain why my head is in this. I have a daughter is a uh, freshman in high school and I've seen her evolve over the years from Paw Patrol <laughs> to um, uh, The Dragons, which is an animated show on Netflix, to Studio Ghibli and all the animated shows on uh, like movies. Uh, and it's a whole studio, right? To become an artist herself. And I've seen this growth um, through the course of her life because a lot of her peers started to watch the Dragon Prince or started to do uh, experience anime. And, and she had experience because of her friends. And something I hear when I go into um, certain classrooms is, oh, that kid just interested in Barney. Like kind of always just always kind of stays interested in Barney. They haven't really moved past that Paw Patrol stage and they're fine with it. It's like, maybe it's because we haven't shown them anything other than Paw Patrol, like maybe because they're in a environment where imagine they don't have a brother like you do to, to maybe help have these experiences. Right. Um, and so, uh, so I think about how you're emphasizing inclusion and how we want to uh, create more inclusive experiences so that, that everyone's with their with their peers, right? Now the other side of that though is we just took a kid and threw him into a general ed classroom without supports, right? <laughs> right? Um, and without the right instruction, then that is also not what they really need, right? Because it ha you have to change the instruction and change the environment, bringing it back to your point about a print-rich environment. So can you talk a little bit about the instruction that you wish you had? You said you had these gaps. Uh, if you could go back in a time machine and say, I wish my educators did this. This is what I really want them to do. That would be a huge message for our audience. Yes, but we'll first just throw out that I am a huge Yo Gabba Gabba fan still, and that's totally okay. <laughs> Love it. For sure. I mean, I watch all those shows too. As the film slightly depicts, when I began typing on iPad, I switched schools and was intentionally included at one of the largest high schools in Northeast Ohio. I will say again that there are no prerequisites to students being included, so that shouldn't have only happened after I was communicating through typing. However, it's sort of beautiful what happened next. iPad was a tool for me, and while an important one, I still had many challenging moments.
I still banged my head and ran out of the building. Yet, I was also in classes with 25 other students. I was in law, English, math, and more for the first time. One of the principals was a runner, and she was helping to brainstorm ideas for how to help my desire regulation, so we tried running. We met at school early each morning and ran two miles. That repetitive motion helped to calm my body so I could be more regulated throughout the day, so I could communicate more, and so I could focus in class. Inclusion is expecting students have various needs, but it's also a mindset, and that's an example of how my teachers presumed I could be successful when the environment was set up correctly. Uh, so, Jordan, you have shared so many gems of insight and your experience, I think, is really powerful. Uh, we have a lot of parents who listen to this podcast, a lot of educators. Um, oh, I'm really curious if you could give um, insight or any piece of advice to either AAC users uh, or parents on that kind of advocacy piece, because it feels like you know, a very common, unfortunate, unfortunately, a very common scenario where families are trying to fight with um, professionals um, in getting access to robust AAC systems. Um, and so is there any kind of piece of advice or wisdom you could share about that process, given your experiences? My mom often talks about how she wishes she wouldn't have waited. She wishes she would have done more, and she wishes she would have known more. I wish she would give herself some grace, so I hope the same for other parents, and that also doesn't mean to give up. For other AC users, and for people who need AC, I just want to say that you are worthy, and you matter. Aw, yeah, I think that's a really important message, and... I work a lot with families and I know that there's a lot of um, a lot of parents feeling like they wish they were doing more and they wish they had done things differently. And I think it's a really important message to give grace um, when we know better, we, we can do better. And um, I think it's a it's a really strong point. Um, Jordan, when we have people on the podcast, uh, one of my favorite questions to ask is if you had a billboard that everyone could see, what would your billboard say? <laughs> if you be honest, I kind of despise this question, Rachel. Hold on. Did that come out like wonky for you, Chris? Like the It did. It sounded can you can you uh play it again? Yeah, Jordan, one more can time. You say it again. 
It came out garbled. I'm going to be honest. I kind of despise this question, Rachel. I think I would likely need a bill. So I don't have to pick just one. <laughs> I like it. Yes. I like it. <laughs> Why be limited to one billboard? <laughs> We just need lots and lots, a whole field of billboards. <laughs> um, Jordan, I like to end interviews with a question about um, what sort of are you curious about? And what are you working on? We, we, You had mentioned the Nora project. You had mentioned communication first. Is there things you want to tell us about those or something else that you're just sort of curious about in the world of, um, uh, well, your world? I'm working on standards for inclusive education in my role with the Nora project. I am pretty excited about those and all that is to come. We're excited to see all the things that you do in the world of advocacy, Jordan. Um, your story is so important and we're so lucky to have had you on to share all of your experiences today. For those of us who are listening who are like, more Jordan, uh, where can people find you? Folks can connect with me through my website, jordanzimmerman.com. I am also on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely link to those in the show notes uh, for all of our listeners. Thank you so much for coming on, Jordan, to share your experience with us. Thanks for having me. For Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Jordan Zimmerman and Chris Bouguet. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.